0: Colossians chapter 2 this morning as we look into what the Lord has for us. And if you want to get a little bit ahead, it won't be for a while, but you can take your Bible and go to 1 Corinthians chapter 3, but it'll be it'll be a while before we get there. Uh, but again, welcome to Home Foods Baptist Church. And I like the fact, I like saying that you can take your copy of the Word of God, your copy of the Word of God. We all have it in our hands. Praise the Lord for that, that God didn't leave us without a witness. And we have something we can always... Always, always turn to. Uh, this morning, as I said, we're going to be in Colossians two, but we're going to talk about being complete in Christ. In fact, that's the that's the title of this morning's message. Be, message being complete in Christ. Uh, but I want to begin reading right there in our in our epistle here in Paul's epistle to the Colossian church. Right there in verse number one. The Bible says, For I would that ye knew what great conflict I have for you and for them at Laodicea and for us and for as many as have not seen my face in the flesh, that their hearts might be comforted, being knit together in love and unto all riches of the full assurance of understanding to the acknowledgement of the mystery of God and of the Father and of Christ, in whom are hid all the Treasures of wisdom and knowledge. And this I say, lest any man should beguile you with enticing words, for though I be absent in the flesh, yet I am with you in the spirit, joying and beholding your order and the steadfastness of your faith in Christ. As ye have therefore received Christ, Jesus the Lord, so walk ye in him, rooted and built up in him, and established in the faith as ye have been taught, abounding therein with thanksgiving. Beware, lest any man spoil you through philosophy and vain deceit after the traditions of men, after the rudiments of the world, and not after Christ. For in him dwelleth all the fullness of the Godhead bodily, and ye are complete in him. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, Lord, we thank you again for allowing us to be in your house this morning. Thank you for allowing us to worship you and receiving our our worship, Lord, as frail and and different from you that, that, that we are, Lord. I, I'm thankful, though, that you receive our praise. And, Lord, it's not that you want to, us to give things to you, Lord, but a broken and contrite heart, a heart that respects you, a heart that loves you, a heart that realizes our wretchedness and receives your righteousness. Lord, we're thankful for the believers here this morning. Lord, I pray, Lord, that you knit our hearts together as we look into your passages, your word this morning help us to see you high and lifted up. Lord, be with me as I, as I deliver this message, as I preach uh, what you've given me to preach, Lord, from your word, the truths that are found in, in, in this scripture, Lord. And, and I thank you. In Jesus' name we all pray. Amen. Amen. So again, we see here in Colossians, this, a, this is an epistle from Paul, of course. And this chapter is a unique chapter. We didn't read all of it, of course. We, we paused there at, uh, about halfway through verse number 10, but it's a great chapter, and it's a standalone chapter, but it builds upon the great foundation that's laid in chapter 1. And we talked a little bit about that last week, and that, that foundation in chapter 1 is, of course, the Lord Jesus Christ. The Lord Jesus Christ. If you remember, uh, last week we talked about how Paul introduced it to the Colossian church. Many things, but the preeminence of Christ. The preeminence of Christ. We talked about that last week. How he is the first and the last. He's not on a list of, you know, one, two, three. He is the list. He is Alpha and Omega. He's his own category. And Paul introduced to the church the preeminence of Christ in all things. He must have the, the complete supremacy in our lives, I think very clearly we see that Christ is preeminent in creation. We see that. There's nothing here that John chapter 1 tells us that God created all things, and without Him was uh, nothing that was made that is made. Uh, Christ is preeminent in creation. He is certainly preeminent in redemption, and He is preeminent in every true church, every true church, the churches that lift up the name of Jesus Christ, that see Him as all God and all man, as our complete Redeemer, these are the believers. These are the, the true churches, and He is preeminent in every one of those churches. I pray that He's preeminent here this morning. Remember, Christ is the starting point, and He is the finishing point, Alpha and Omega, the beginning and the end. And I think very simply, as we kind of start the sermon off this morning, if we, if you and I desire victory in our life, and I'm not talking about victory as in going to some war in some foreign country, I'm talking about personal Christian victory over the things that we struggle with day in and day out, we need to give Him the preeminence. Because none of us can live a perfect life. But the longer I live, the longer I search the Scriptures, the longer I live for Him, I realize that the more I surrender the more he can live through me. And those are the days that are victorious, which brings us to chapter 2. In this chapter alone, Paul gives us a number of warnings. Look, at, look with me at verse number, I'm just going to go through a couple of things. Verse number 4, he warns us of some deceivers. In verse number 8, he warns us of vain philosophies and philosophers. In verse number 16, he warns, of, he warns us of unrighteous judgment. In verse 18, he even warns us of improper worship. But more powerful than all those things, Paul gives us some assurance, and that assurance is found in the Lord Jesus Christ. Look at verse number 3, "...in whom, in Christ..." are hid all the treasures of wisdom. Verse number 9, For in Him dwelleth all the fullness of the Godhead bodily, and ye are complete in Him, which is the head of all principalities in Christ. Now it's no surprise that you're going to come to church and the preacher's going to motivate you, hopefully encourage you to be all in for the Lord Jesus Christ. All in for Christ. But Paul kind of closes in a little bit on what Christ has done for us. He does this many times throughout the text. But look again at verses 13, or look first at verses 13, 14, and 15. Actually, let's begin in verse number 12. It says, Buried with him in baptism, wherein also you are risen with him through the faith of the operation of God, who hath raised him from the dead, or, and you, being dead in your sin and the uncircumcision of your flesh, hath he quickened, hath he made alive together with him? having forgiven you all trespasses, blotting out, I love this, this, this terminology, this wording, blotting out the handwriting of ordinances that was against us, which was contrary to us, and took it out of the way, nailing it to his cross. And having spoiled principalities and powers, he made a show of them openly, triumphing over them in it. When we put our faith, when you and I put our faith in the Lord Jesus Christ, we are made alive together with him, we are, if you will, risen from the dead. We, are, um, we have that new life. Christ lives within us. And verse 14 kind of gives us to the point where, or verse 13 tells us He's forgiven us of all trespasses, and verse 14 tells us how that happens. He blotted all of our trespasses out. Now, now, in my mind, I go back. I used to be a cop for a, for a few years, a police officer, and there's this thing called rap sheets, right? And you, hopefully none of y'all have a rap sheet, but that's all the, all the crimes that are on record in that certain municipality that you're living in. So, but as Christians, we all have a rap sheet. We all have some sins uh, that we all have said. We are, created, we are born sinners. But God says that he's blotted out for those who have ex- experienced forgiveness and put our faith in Jesus Christ, he says that he's blotted out the handwriting of ordinances against us. So in my mind, now I'm not trying to be irreverent here, but a big fat sharpie, a magic marker, just line by line, going through every one of those things that I've done since from day one. Yep, I don't know what he was thinking here, but let's mark it out, you know, over and over again. And then not only that, he takes that list, look at that, blotting out the handwriting of the ordinance was against us. So he marks all those things out, it's on a piece of paper. Then what does he do with that list? He nails it to the cross. So they're marked out and then they're paid for. I mean, it's like doubly awesome, if I can say that. It's doubly paid for. Christ paid for every one of our sins and we are risen from the dead spiritually so that we later can be risen from the dead physically. And when He did these things, when He walked out of that grave, He spoiled the powers that be. He spoiled the principalities. He showed them for who they were. He showed Satan who he was and that he was defeated. Look at verse 15 again. It says that he spoiled principalities, plural, and powers, plural, which really kind of jumps back to verse number 10, which states that Jesus is the head of all principality, singular, and power, singular. Notice the difference there in the volume. Verse 15 is plural, verse 10 is singular. In other words, there are inferior principalities and powers out there, and the Lord has spoiled them all that are opposed to Him. But He is the ultimate singular, singular power, singular principality and the head of all these things. The Bible says, "...in whom are hid all the treasures..." Of wisdom and knowledge, I think many times as as a a human, as a Christian, as a as a one who has thoughts not as God's thoughts, we look at Jesus and we see, you know, we 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 can't understand the Trinity. It's it's mind boggling, right? We have God the Father, we have God the Son, and we got God the Holy Spirit. It's mind boggling to figure those things out. But so many times we try to explain Jesus away, maybe not with our own words and maybe not consciously, but we it's just. We say maybe he's a little different than God or a little less than God or maybe he didn't have all the wisdom of God or all the treasures of God and all the knowledge of God. But look at that verse, in whom are hid all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. And in him dwelleth all the fullness of the Godhead. All of God was in Jesus Christ because Jesus Christ is all God. Our conclusion, therefore, as verse 10 states, is that only in him, Only in Christ, only in the Son of God, only in the person of Jesus Christ can we be complete. Complete in Christ. So this morning we're going to focus on what it means to be complete in Christ. The word complete in verse 10 there is a unique word. The Greek equivalent, which I won't mention this morning, but it's used some 90 times in the New Testament, 70 of those times, uh, almost 70% of those times, 65% of those times, is translated as something to do with filling, fulfilling, to fill or to be full. And in fact, that's the definition. No surprise, it means to make full. If we see a cup of water and it's half full, if we look at it completely full, we could say that it's complete. It's, it's doing its purpose. So this word here, to be complete in Christ, is to be made full in Christ, to be filled up with Christ to be completely full with Christ. We need nothing else. Christ is enough. I like the the lyrics in that old hymnal. It says, my faith has found a resting place. It says, I need no other argument. I need no other plea. It is enough that Jesus died and that he died for me. Jesus is enough. His grace is sufficient. There is enough power in the Lord's blood to save. Remember that verse in the Old Testament and the Lord God is talking to Israel, he said, has my arm been shortened that it cannot save? No, it has cannot. But their iniquities have separated them. God is still in the saving business today. God is still preserving the saints, if you will. But many times our iniquities get in the way. But we can be complete in Christ. We can still be complete in Christ because his grace is sufficient in salvation as well as Sanctification. Look at verse number six as we kind of get into the texture this morning. The Bible says, As ye have therefore received Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk ye in Him. As ye have therefore received Christ Jesus, walk ye in Him. So in order for us to be complete in Christ, what, what is the first step? What's the first truth we must grab a hold of? And that is, of course, the reception, the reception of Jesus Christ. There's no completion without Christ. There is no completion without Christ. So a very simple question this morning. I know we're here. I know we're, we're all professing believers, but are you complete? Do you have Jesus Christ? Now, it's not enough just to go to church every morning. It's not enough just to check that block and to read your Bible and to pray. You must be born again. Are you complete? Do you have Jesus Christ? I know that's not a a sermon that Christians don't want to hear. And I've even had preachers tell me that you don't need to spend too much time on the gospel on a Sunday morning because people are believers there. Are you complete? It's worth the embarrassment of pretending to be saved for many years and coming forward. I, I, I venture to say in eternity when we're there, those who are with Christ will not regret being with Christ. And those who are not with Christ will have utter regret. So again, are you complete? Are you complete? Have you received Christ? And for the record, it's, it's not so much that he completes us. It's not some movie logo or slogan, but rather we are nothing without him. Without him, We are nothing. You see, God, through the Apostle Paul here, is about to tell us some very important things, but none of those things matter unless we have received Christ. Nothing will matter without Christ. Nothing matters without Christ. We simply need redemption. We are incomplete without Him. I would ask you again just to to continue on that mindset. Is there something missing in your life, even for believers? Is there something missing? If you, at a point in time, you look back and you've professed your salvation, you professed faith in Jesus Christ, you know without a shadow of a doubt that you're going to meet Jesus one day based on the authority of the Word of God. But are you still missing something? Are you, are you lacking something in your marriage or your careers or even your hobbies? Are they just not fulfilling anymore? I say put Jesus right in the middle of it. Put Jesus at the top there. It's not a what, it's a who. Jesus in everything that we do, in our marriages, in our careers, our hobbies, mowing the grass, do it for the Lord. You know, at one end of the spectrum, we are complete with Christ. But at the other end of that spectrum, by faith, we receive Christ. So reception comes before completion. And Paul tells us here, as we go a little further, a few things that we should do because we have Jesus Christ. Now, these are things that we should do because of salvation. Because of salvation. Look again at verse number 6. As ye have therefore received Christ Jesus the Lord, you who are believers, so walk. Go walk in him. Walk ye in Him. So our first point this morning, walk in Christ. Now, I have five points up there, but I'm hoping still to be done on normal time. So bear with me if I go a little bit over this morning. But we need to walk in Christ. First, we need to walk in Him. We need to live in Him. And Paul here tells us kind of what that means in in other places here. But he says to walk in Him. Now, we kind of, we understand that, to walk in Christ, to walk with Christ. But what does that really mean? What is Paul really trying to get out here? I, wanna, I would like to tell you that I believe part of walking in Christ, walking with Christ, is being in agreement with Christ. I think that's pretty, pretty straightforward, pretty common sense. Amos chapter 3, verse 3 says, Can two walk together except they be agreed? Now, he's not talking about, even though in my mind I picture some old-timey um, saints in the Old Testament and they're walking down some dirt road, and they're in agreement with each other, but they're walking. But if we take that and we pull that and lift it into the New Testament, we who walk together in agreement, I mean, biblically speaking and theologically speaking and redemption and all those things, on and on and on, we are in agreement and we walk together. You know, again, at this point in this text, salvation is a given. And if we are saved, we have agreed, first of all, With the word of Christ, we have agreed that he says you must be born again. We have agreed that I have nothing to offer God. All of my good works, all of my righteousness is filthy rags. So I agree with that statement and I accept his payment on the cross. I agree with him. We've agreed with the scriptures and we've exercised our faith to accept him. So in a very practical way, we are on that journey, if you will. Those two saints walking down the road. We are walking with him, and our walk is very much dependent on our agreement with him. So, so picture that. You know, we, you're walking down life's road, if you will. And sometimes you're right with Christ, and sometimes you're doing this. I mean, maybe I'm the only one. You know, maybe maybe you're always just put your arms around the Lord. You know, I picture my children. You know, as as I walk, I got I got two. Sons and a daughter, and they're all in the United States now, and they're all the way from here. But I picture us, as we go back and we visit with them, and as we walk together with the things, our philosophy of life, if you will, we're in agreement with each other. But walking with Christ is not synonymous with receiving Christ. It's not the same. If it were, this this verse would be worded a little differently, would it not? It says, if ye have therefore received, or as ye have therefore received Christ, then walk in him, so walk ye in him. You know, as a married couple, we've been married for a number of years, but my wife and I, to some surprise, maybe to some, we don't agree on everything. We don't. I mean, she likes Thousand Island dressing, (laughs) It's nasty. I don't like that. But we don't agree on everything, even some important things we kind of differ on. But we do agree on a lot of things. The the number of things that we agree with far outweigh by a long shot the things that we don't agree on, that we disagree with. But in our marriage, we walk together, mostly because a lot of those agreements. Now, I'm not talking about, you know, you like blue, I like black, you like green, I like orange. I'm talking about serious philosophical issues, theological issues. So we agree on those things, and the more you and your spouse agree on these things, the more me and my spouse, uh, my wife and I agree on those things, the closer we walk together in those things. It just makes sense. But when it comes to our walk in Christ, it's not he who has to agree with us. right? So in a marriage, you kind of, you know, I think she's right, so I'm going to agree with her. And she's, I don't think she's ever said that, but I think he's right, so I'm going to agree with him. So you have that compromise there. But with Christ, there is no Him agreeing with us. It's only us yielding to what He says, us agreeing to Him. So as a Christian, we're going to always be on that journey because He'll never leave us nor forsake us. But how close are we to Christ in that walk of life? And many times it has to do with whether or not we agree with Him. We see the text and, nah, I don't want to do that. Do we agree with Him? With what he says about things in the Bible, maybe creation, maybe the church, the idea of church, maybe the idea of marriage, maybe the idea on and on and on. We can go with these things. What has Christ said? And the more we agree with him, the closer our walk is going to be. Do we agree with him with what he says about abstaining from all appearance of evil? That verse boggles my mind. All appearance of evil. Do we agree with him in that we need to live holy lives because he is holy? Do we agree with him when he says that without him you can bear no fruit? I'm guilty of trying to bear righteous fruit without Jesus Christ. What a ridiculous concept, but I'm guilty. Don't do it without him. It seems to be a very common thing today to agree with God in salvation, but not in anything else. Thank you for saving me, Laura. But I'll live my life the way I want to live it. I learned just recently that the most popular song sang at a gravesite or memorial gravesite for atheists is "I Did It My Way." That Frank Sinatra song, or whatever. I did it my way. What what a sad concept! I did it my way. They they are not doing it their way anymore. Let's not be that Christian who is saying, thank you for saving me, Lord, but I want to live my life the way I want to live it. Has he not earned our full commitment? Walk with Christ. Walk with him. Look at what he paid. I mean, who who would you give your life for? Who would you give your son's life for? What would you expect in return if you did? Live for the Lord. Walk for Christ. Walk with him. And then look at verse number 10 tells us to walk worthy of the Lord unto all pleasing. That means we should walk in a way that appreciates our salvation. You, can't, you can kind of picture that as a child, you know, mom and dad does something for you and there is a child and you kind of, you walk or your attitude kind of changes because of something they did for you that's just great. They took you to get ice cream and now suddenly you're on the best behavior. And mom and dad are thinking, it so should be the other way around. But sometimes it's not. But that's what God has done for he's done the, He's blessed us before our obedience. Isn't that great? We should walk in a way that appreciates our salvation. We walk by faith, not by sight as well. There's going to be some things that we don't understand, but we follow him anyway. By faith, we agree with him anyway. The Bible says this. I don't understand that, but I'm going to believe it. I'm going to agree with it because He's my Savior, and I know Him. I had a young lady a couple of years ago. She used to go to this church. She's long gone on, and she was struggling with the assurance of salvation. Uh, she believed she was saved, and she was struggling with, you know, can I lose it? Can I go back? And she was struggling with all these things, and we were right over here in our little library room, and we had a conversation, and I asked her this. Her dad was in there, and I asked her. I was like, I had, at that time, I had a at a fish tank with a turtle into it. I think Brother Shannon, some other people have seen it, you know, and it was, he's freed now. We let him go. Um, and I told her, I was like, you know, I am my, I'm mean going to just sidetrack you all, all, all together, you know. And she's like, okay. I was like, I have a question for you. She says, what? I said, I, in my house right by here, I have a turtle in an aquarium. I was like, do you believe me? She's like, yes. I was like, have you seen it? He's like, yes, I've seen it. I was like, okay, that doesn't work. Okay, let's go something else. So I also have a compound bug. Do you know what that is? She's like, yes, I know what that is. I was like, have you seen my compound bug? She's like, no, I have not. I was like, do you believe that I have one? She's like, yes, you just told me. So I just looked at it for a little bit. And I asked her again, do you believe that I have a compound bug? She's like, yes. I was like, why? Because you're not going to lie to me. I know you, you're the pastor of a church, and I don't believe you're going to lie to me, so I believe without a shadow of a doubt that you have a compound bow. So I pulled up the Bible, I took it to some verses, Romans 10, 9, John three sixteen, all these things like that. Do you believe this? He's way more credible than I am, and you should be way more closer to him than you are to me. And he says you have eternal life. Eternal life. Do you agree with that? Do you understand it? Maybe not, but do you agree with it? Just trust the book. Trust the book. The Bible says in Proverbs 3, 5, trust in the Lord with all thine heart and lean not unto thine own understanding. There's going to be some things we're going to be holding on to His hand, going into the dark and we have no idea where we're going but we're trusting in His hand. Think of God or think of the, the Son of God going to the Garden of Gethsemane. I know I've mentioned a couple times. Jesus or God gives Him the cup and what does Jesus say? Let this cup pass from me or something like that. Nevertheless, my will, uh, thy will but Thy will be done, not mine. But he takes the cup from his Father, the cup of wrath, if you will, and he drinks it because it's from the Father. Sometimes we're going to be led into some things and we just must trust God, regardless of what's going on. Trust in the Lord. You know, I've had some leaders when I, in my time in the military and I trusted them. Sometimes I didn't understand why they did a certain thing. Now, it wasn't a wrong or a right thing. It was just my lack of understanding. But because I knew him, I knew him as a leader, and I knew his character. I followed him. I followed him because I knew him. Know the Lord. Walk in the Lord and trust him. Trust in the Lord. And the more we trust Him, the more we can agree with them. the more we can walk in Christ. And look at verse 6 again as we kind of move on. As ye have therefore received Christ Jesus the Lord, walk ye in Him, rooted and built up in Him, and established in the faith as ye have been taught, abounding therein, With thanksgiving. Number two this morning, we are to be rooted in Christ. Now, rooted is obviously an agricultural term, and there are some implied components to being rooted properly. Plants are planted, (laughs) plants are rooted in the soil. Branches grow from a vine, but they're all connected to a source. John 15, Jesus makes it abundantly clear that He is the true vine, and we are the branches. He's the vine. We are the branches, and the branches must be rooted in the vine for life, for it to happen. I mean, think about that. In, I think many times we're, we're the branch in the vine, and we want to be disconnected from the, the vine and still live in accordance with the vine, but it just doesn't work that way. We can do nothing without him. The branches must be rooted in the vine, just like a plant must be rooted in the soil. That's not hard for us to comprehend, right? So these passages here, 6 and 7, mostly 7, tell us that after we have received Christ as our Savior, our belief in that should reflect in our walk, right? And then we are rooted in Him. You know, when a seed is first planted, the roots are what grows first. It doesn't grow up first. It grows down first. And these roots must obviously take a hold of the soil before growing. The more the roots, this is just... I don't know, what's the um, farm, future Farmers of America or something like that? It's a meeting, right? The more the roots have a, rich, a hold of those rich nutrients in the soil, the more successful the plant is growing to grow and the more durable the plant will be. And it will eventually break through through, through the topsoil soil and start spreading the grain. you have all seen a very barren picture of uh, the field and that one little grass sprout is pulling. That's got to hold some good soil. Again, this is not difficult to understand agriculturally, but do we understand it spiritually? Do we realize practically that we need to be rooted in Christ? I fear many of us from time to time are still below the surface and our roots are not in good soil. Yes, we're we're believers. We're we're trying to be, we're trying to trust Christ and maybe we're saved, but we're not rooting, we're not reaching for the good soil, not reaching for Christ, not reaching for his word, his church, so forth. Many of us exchange, now I'm talking about believers now, many of us as we try to dig our roots in, we look for the things that are not the richest part of the soil. Does that make sense? So we're, we're looking for the rocks, or we're looking for the clay, or we're not looking for the deep dark soil that's found spiritually speaking only in Jesus Christ. We are unlike any plant that's ever planted. Every plant you put naturally goes for the water, it goes for the good soil, but not us Christians we want to we look for something different. And when our roots do not run deep in Christ, not only are we not bearing fruit, we are barely staying above the topsoil. And if we have reached already from a previous experience with Christ above the topsoil, now we can't weather the storms and our, our leaves start to wither and the storms just blow us left and right or east and west or however we do to look at it. Even the thought of a storm sometimes causes us to wither and break away. Because unlike real plants, our roots like to grab, again, on everything but the Lord Jesus Christ. We search for substance in all the wrong places. You know, I'm convinced that I'm a needy person. (laughs) And I think we are a needy people. We need Him. Our roots need to grab a hold of Christ. And we must hold on. There will never be a time when you've read your Bible too much. There will never be a time when you've heard too many sermons. There will never be a time when you worshiped God too much. When you walked too close to Christ, those things are not true. There will never be a time when you had too much Christian fellowship. Now, you look at the opposites of all of those, and the other kind of fellowship, and the other kinds of things we place with God, you can have a, one instance of those things is too much. But there's not enough of God in our lives. Every one of us tomorrow will get up and face the week, And if we don't make a conscious effort to be rooted in Christ, we will struggle spiritually. There is no question about it. A plant cannot survive without the soil, and we cannot be victorious without Christ. Again, John 15, 5, Jesus says, I am the vine, ye are the branches. He that abideth in me and I in him, the same bringeth forth much fruit. For without me, you can do some things, nothing. You can do nothing. And there's no richer soil for the soul than that of Jesus Christ. He is found in prayer. He is found in Scripture. He is found in the church and he is found in fellowship. Charles Spurgeon was once asked, what's more important, prayer or Bible reading? <laughs> he said, it's kind of like breathing in and breathing out. You tell me which one's more important. And in that, there's prayer and Bible reading that should compel us to church and Christian fellowship. And all of those things are essential to stand close to Christ. Walking with Christ is very much connected to us being rooted in Christ. So we must make sure we are reaching for the right soil. When the storms come, when even the good times come, reach for Jesus Christ. Walk in Him. Be rooted in Him. And then look at verse 7 again. We must be built up in Him. Built up in Him. He is the foundation and no other foundation that can be laid or it can be laid like Jesus Christ. Speaking of Christ in First Peter chapter two, verse six, Peter says, "Behold, I lay in Zion a chief cornerstone." Now we know Christ is the cornerstone. Ephesians two twenty says, "Jesus and Christ Himself is that cornerstone, the chief cornerstone. He is the foundation for which all our hope and faith is built." I want you to take your Bible and go to First Corinthians chapter three. Leave your place there, in, or keep your place there in Colossians, First Corinthians chapter three. I want you to look at a couple things. Look at verse number 11 of 1 Corinthians chapter 3. The Bible says, For other foundation can no man lay than that is laid, which is Jesus Christ. For for other foundation can no man lay than that is laid, which is Jesus Christ. Now, if any man build upon this foundation gold, silver, precious stones, wood, hay, stubble, every man's work shall be made manifest. For the day shall declare it, because it shall be revealed by fire, and the fire shall try every man's work of what sort it is. If any man's work abide, which he hath built thereupon, he shall receive a reward. If any man's work shall be burned, he shall suffer loss. But he himself shall be saved. Yet so as by fire. Verse sixteen talks about us being the temple of God. Notice here in this passage there are six types of construction materials. Right, there's things that we are building upon that foundation which is Jesus Christ. There are there is gold, silver, precious stones, wood, hay, and stubble. Notice that three are non-combustible and three are combustible, three that burn up and three that don't burn, or they, they keep their, their value if they burn. But within those two different groups, we have gold, silver, and precious stones in one group, and we have wood, hay, and stubble in another group. And within those two different groups, there are different degrees of value, different degrees of usage. Gold is, of course, worth more than silver and so forth, and wood burns much longer than hay and certainly much longer than stubble. And verses 14 and 15 talk about our work, and it connects our works, every work that we do as a Christian, to one of those six construction, or pieces of construction. One of those things, building materials. The foundation, notice it's important here, that the foundation is going to stand no matter what. But what we build upon that foundation, what we build upon Jesus Christ, the works that we do after our salvation, that's up to us. That is up to you and not up to me. Some of our efforts, very clearly here in the text, are going to go up in flames. But the things we do for the Lord will endure forever. They will endure the fire. Listen, we have the best foundation ever built. When I was in Hawaii for a couple of years, there was these couple of skyscrapers. That made 15, 20 stories, not rural high. But there was this earthquake that came, and these things were moving like this. I was not up there. But I had a friend that was on maybe three or four from the top. And he said he had water in his, I think it was his toilet, but maybe a sink or something like that. And it was moving. And like he was watching it move in there. He's like, I need to leave. So he left and whatever. But those buildings stood. I mean, imagine what kind of foundation those buildings have. Now, if you take that same foundation, you put all that money into that foundation, and then you go, I don't know, build a mobile home on it. It's kind of pointless. It's, it's kind of going to go up in flames, if you will. And the, kind of, the same thing is true of our life with Christ. He is our foundation. And when we put cheap stuff on that, wood, hay, and stubble, it's not only not going to endure, not, or it is going to burn up, it's disrespectful to the foundation. We must put good things on it, gold, silver, and precious stones. Let's use the right building material. Let's live for the Lord Jesus Christ. Let's walk in Him, be rooted in Him, and build upon Him the things that matter. Verse 15 again says, If any man's work shall be burned, he shall suffer loss, but he himself shall be saved, yet so as by fire. And keep in your place there. Look back at our text in Colossians chapter 2. Don't lose your place in Corinthians. Verse 6 and 7 again says, As ye have therefore received Christ Jesus... So, walking in Him, rooted and built up in Him, build upon that foundation things that matter and mean something to the Lord Jesus Christ. Because we are also established in Christ. Look at verse 7 again. Don't lose your place in 1 Corinthians, we're going to come back there. We are established in Christ. The word "established" in the King James there—I know it takes the "e" off. It's, maybe it sounds like you're from the country or something. You establish something, but um, the word "established" means to make firm, to make sure, to confirm. Notice the Bible states that we are confirmed in the faith. Ephesians two eight states that we are saved by grace through faith. In other words, like the text in First Corinthians chapter three that you get your thumb in there, our sins. now—all our stuff is going to be on that foundation, and when the fire comes, all the wood hay, and stubble is going to burn away. Think about that for a moment. I know this passage is generally looked at as a warning, and it is a warning there in 1 Corinthians. It's a warning to live right, to walk right, to do things that bring honor to God. But it's also a promise in there that all the things that we didn't do to honor God are going to be burned and taken away. That means they're going to be gone. That means when you're standing before a holy God, they're gone. All of our sins are are burned up, if you will. They're gone. A promise that our sins will not follow us into eternity. Look at verse 15, back in 1 Corinthians again, chapter 3. He shall suffer loss, but he himself shall be saved. I take great, I don't know, excitement in that. I just, it's just awesome to know that God's blood is enough for me. Our salvation, our roots, our foundation, our eternal life, all of it is confirmed in the person of Jesus Christ. It is made sure in Christ. You see, we will always be a child of God. We will always be a joint heir with Christ. We are established in the faith. And I think this is extremely significant in every way, but also very practical. And what I mean by that is regardless of where we are in this life, regardless of how much we want to walk from Him, we even leave the the, the beaten trail that we're walking there with the Lord. We're way off somewhere. Jesus will always take you back. He will always take you back. As a matter of fact, positionally, when you come back to him, he won't even recognize that you left him. Jesus always takes us back. You know, as humans, we can only take so much ridicule from other people. We don't want to talk about this thing, but we can only take so much hurt from other people, so much pain, so many insults. There's going to be a line for every single one of us. We can only take so much until we turn our backs on that person, even to those we love. But God will never turn his back on you, ever. He will never turn your back, his back on us. It doesn't matter what happened last year, last week, or even this morning. God will never forsake you, and he still wants to be a part of your life. And his arms are stretched out still. He is not the God of second chances. He is the God of whose compassions fail not. They are new every morning. And if you're a Christian, I pray that you can make it a point this morning to walk in him and to be rooted in him, to build properly upon the foundation of Jesus Christ, and know that he will never leave you nor forsake you. You can always come home. I've told my children that no matter where they are when they left. I told all three of them, no matter where you go, no matter what you've done, you can always come home. As long as I got a house and as long as I got food on the table, you always have those in your life. No, I don't care where you go in this life. You can always come home because they are always be my children. They will always be my children. And we who have placed our faith in Jesus Christ will always be his children. He says you can always come home. Always come home to Jesus Christ. He, praise the Lord, is a friend of sinners. And if you are not a Christian, please make it a point to receive him today. And then lastly, very quickly, as we close, notice that because of all these truths, Look at Back in um, Colossians chapter 2, I'm going to read 6, starting with verse number 6 again. As ye have therefore received Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk ye in Him, rooted and built up in Him, and established in the faith, as ye have been taught, abounding therein with thanksgiving. We are to abound in Christ. That word abound, it's not hard for us to understand, but it means to increase, to exceed a fixed number, to move forward. As simple as it may be, we are not to be stagnant saints. We are to always move forward. And while we are secure in Christ, we are not to rest on his laurels. I hope that comes across clearly. Even though his blood is sufficient, what he's done for us and what he will do for us in the future, it's all as sure as it already happened. We cannot rest on his laurels. We live to please him. We are... We are not to forsake the commandments. We are to be obedient, not rest on the saving power of Christ's blood in behavior, if you will. In belief, yes. In position, yes. But practically, we live because He lives, and we live according to His grace. We live in a way that doesn't compel, or that does compel us to move forward, to abound in Christ. You know, abounding is a part of being complete in Christ, and the, thing, the thought that comes to my mind right now for, uh, for those of us who do not abound from time to time is because we're lacking completion in that point in time. Run to the Lord Jesus Christ. Abound. Because it's being a part of complete in Christ. And then look at verse number 12 of Colossians 4. We'll come back to 2 here. 4.12 says, Epaphras who is one of you, a servant of Christ, saluteth you, always laboring fervently for you in prayers. Why? That you may stand perfect and complete in all the will of God. We can stand perfect and complete in all the will of God. You know, we will never be complete without Him. Paul continues in verse 8 by warning us back in chapter 2 about the opposition. But all of this together... If you you take all these points together, we can see that it all begins with walking and rooting and building and establishing and abounding. But all of that is based on a reception, on the reception of the Lord Jesus Christ. They all have one thing in common in Christ, in Christ. He alone is our source for in him, in Jesus Christ, dwelleth all the fullness of the Godhead bodily and ye are complete in him.